Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 11, 25 to 30, as found in New Testament, page 12, in your Pew Bibles. These words of Jesus were not uttered in a celebratory point in Christ's ministry. There were no picnics or fireworks. Jesus had just completed a preaching mission to several Galilean cities where he was not warmly welcomed. These cities, you see, were doing well financially even though they were under Roman occupation. The religious leaders closed their ears to what Jesus had to say. They were content to maintain the status quo. They did not want to shake up their comfortable world. After some quite powerful reproaches to those Galilean cities, Jesus thanks God for the little people, those precious few, who gratefully receive his words and utters what arguably could be the greatest words of comfort ever written. Now here are God's words from Matthew 11:25 through 30. At that time Jesus said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. As we celebrate another 4th of July weekend, you may remember the significant role our denomination, the Presbyterians, played in the founding of this country. In fact, in England, the American Revolution was often called the Presbyterian Rebellion, and that was not meant to be a flattering moniker. Fueled by their Christian faith and influenced by the theology of John Calvin, many in England considered Presbyterians to be rebellious troublemakers 
in referring to the Declaration of Independence, an ardent colonial supporter of King George III wrote home that, I fix all the blame for these extraordinary proceedings upon the Presbyterians. They have been the chief and principal instruments of these flaming measures. When the news of these extraordinary proceedings reached England, Prime Minister Horace Walpole said in Parliament, there's no use crying about it. Cousin America has eloped with a Presbyterian parson. He was referring, of course, to John Witherspoon, president of Princeton University. Witherspoon was the only member of the clergy to sign the Declaration of Independence. Just as this summer, the Presbyterian Church USA was the first large mainline denomination to affirm same-gender marriage. In 1775, the Presbyterian Synod was the first religious body to declare openly and publicly for a separation from England. In her book, Calvinism in History, Lorraine Boatner writes, history is eloquent in declaring that American democracy was born of Christianity and that brand of Christianity was Calvinism. The great revolutionary conflict which resulted in the formation of the American nation was carried out mainly by Calvinists. And this nation is their gift to all liberty-loving people. Throughout history, the Holy Spirit has led our church and other communities of faith to say no to those powerful cultural mores, political structures, and ideologies that exploit, discriminate against, and harm the disenfranchised, all those who live in society's margins. Because Presbyterians believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the wisdom of the collective, decisions may take longer than some of us prefer. Yet our church has a long track record of bending Theodore Parker's proverbial arc of the moral universe toward justice. Many Presbyterians joined the ranks of those who bravely took a stand against slavery, fought for women's suffrage, and marched for civil rights. Never shying away from controversy, the Holy Spirit has led us in the past and is leading us today to proclaim the gospel of love. 
to take on Christ's yoke of compassion. In today's scripture reading, Christ calls us to discipleship. Yet when this passage is read, this call is often overshadowed and sometimes obscured by the powerful words of comfort that are also contained in these verses. Come unto me, all you who labor and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. These are the words we rightly turn to when our grief overwhelms us and our troubles just seem too much to bear. Preacher and Arthur Barbara Brown Taylor says this passage offers hope of help. Hope of a God who will take the sweaty loads off our backs and replace them with a lighter yoke. Lighter because it yokes us with one who is greater than we are and with whose struggles strong and strong help we can bear any burden. Clearly, and perhaps ironically, in this passage, comfort and rest are linked with discipleship. Come unto me, take my yoke upon you, says Christ, words of discipleship. These words urge us to live a life filled with gentleness and humility based on the teachings of Christ. Learn from me, Christ says. The people in Matthew's community who originally heard these words carried heavy burdens, presumably heavy burdens placed on them by the powerful and influential. They were social outcasts. The burdens they carried may well have been literally physical, hauling water or building materials, backbreaking, heavy labor. Or the burdens may have resulted from the stress of living in poverty or the invisible load of fear and, and grief. But since this passage is from Matthew, the burdens most likely included those imposed by the religious establishment. The synagogue figurably across the street from which many of those in Matthew's community had fled. By Matthew's time, you see, the temple had fallen. It was a frightening transitional time for the Jewish faith. As the Pharisees tried to hold things together, they demanded strict adherence to the letter of the law, often overlooking the spirit of the law. They did not welcome the minority Christian community that was in their midst. Jesus shows the little people, the people carrying heavy burdens in Matthew's community and us, a simpler way to know God. Learning from Christ's example, we experience God's grace by living a life 
based on the twofold commandment of love. To love God with all of our heart and mind and soul and our neighbor as ourselves. My friends, it's as simple as that. Taking on Christ's yoke does not exempt us from our labors, but it promises that the work we do will be easier. Now, as you know, a yoke is a type of harness that connects a pair of animals. It's usually oxen to, to a plow or to another kind of tool. Using a pair to pull a plow required a yoke to link them together so that they could work more effectively. Yokes were usually made out of a wood beam shaped to fit over the necks of the animals. Now, imagine that you are yoked to Christ, joined at the neck to labor in the world. The yoke of Christ does not hurt, does not chafe. It is easier to wear because it fits us perfectly. It helps us be the people God created us to be and do the work we were born to do. Alternatively, if we take on the ill-fitting yoke of a sin-struck world and perpetuate injustice, self-centeredness, and greed, we will have an uncomfortable feeling that something is wrong. Something is creating moral friction that blisters our hearts and cuts brush burns in our souls. But if we are guided by love to seek justice, peace, and equality among all people, our souls, even when embroiled in worldly controversy, ironically, will find rest. Taking on the yoke of compassion not only means that we receive God's grace and find personal peace, but also that we work alongside Christ in the world. If we are yoked to Christ, think about where that might lead us. What fields will we be plowing? Our ancestors plowed the field of independence to produce a new nation, and later the field of freedom to abolish slavery. This year, our presbytery, along with other presbyteries, plowed the field of justice to produce marriage equality. In the coming years, we might be called to join Christ in plowing the field of immigration reform, peace in the Middle East, the reduction of gun violence, or the provision of safety nets to ensure economic security for all. 
no doubt we will be called to seek out, minister to, and advocate for all those whose struggles are profound and whose needs are overwhelming. And in doing so, in doing this work, ironically, we will find rest for our souls. And on that day when justice is done, when faithful actions prevail, as occurred at the Presbyterian Church's General Assembly this summer, Christ reminds us to be gentle and humble in heart. For such achievements are not ours, but the gift of God's grace. And there is always more work to do. Our journey of faith is leading us to a time of universal reconciliation that's not yet here. Our journey of faith is leading us to a time when all God's people will be peacefully gathered around one table, sharing one loaf and one cup. Those Presbyterian ministers who were leaders in the American Revolution knew this. On December 11, 1783, on a day of thanksgiving for the restoration of peace after the Revolution, Reverend George Duffield of Pine Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia told his jubilant congregation, not unto us, not unto us, but thy name, O Lord, be the glory, for thine is the power and the victory and the greatness, both success and safety come of thee. He went on to warn that day that the victory will be empty unless we continue to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, unless we take on Christ's yoke of compassion. Amen.